You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Good to be with you all. I appreciate uh, Carolyn's invitation to, uh, to kind of fill in a little bit. Although, from my experience, I, I want to say to you that do you all realize that you have an, an extraordinarily good staff and an extraordinarily good preacher, pastor, family in Carolyn and Steve? I, 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 hope, I, I hope you all are grateful. Uh, you know, we are. Um, Janice and I are grateful that we found Mosaic. Um, with a Bible in your hand and with something to write on and something to write with, let's take a look at, uh, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, the section we're in right now is the fifth chapter of, of Ezra. Uh, as you heard from Pastor Carolyn and Catherine, Ezra's kind of an odd book. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to fit right in because I'm odd with you, buddy. Uh, there's a couple of themes I want to look at that kind of run through and on, on, on through Ezra and, and through the chapters we're going to look at. And uh, I, I'm going to, I didn't mention this on, in the early part of the, service, uh, the first service, but I'll mention it now. You need to understand that when I get up here, I preach to myself and y'all can listen in if you want. Okay, so, you know, take what you, take what you will from this. Uh, when someone begins a sentence saying, once upon a time, what do you know is coming? Story's going to follow that. A, fr- a friend of mine used to say, and there hangs a tale. So I'm going to start off saying, once upon a time. I was a hospital chaplain in Georgia Baptist Medical Center in Atlanta, and in our training, they told us that as we entered a hospital room, that we were to say simply, tell me about it, which seemed a little odd at the time, but I did it. And you know what happened? They told me about it. <laughs> they told me about how they'd gotten to the hospital, what they were hoping to, to, to get at the hospital. They told me their story. They told me sometimes much more. When someone asks, how was your day? You and I know that fine does not cut it because they're looking to know how your day was. They're looking for you to, to, to tell your story. But even behind that, they're really looking for the opportunity to tell you their story, how their day was. I'm going st- to stick. I said to, at 8, 8, at eight o'clock, eight, 9 o'clock, I, I stick close to the manuscript because if I wander, it is not going to be a pleasant time. Mary Lingle, she, she wrote, all of life is a story. And I thought she's right. Story, stories are important to us. All of us like a good story. We, we like telling them. We like listening to them. We love to see them on the big screen. We love to stream them. Have you ever wondered why? Why the story is so important to us? Because God is the creator of the story. And he has created you and me as story people. From the very beginning, God plans to let us know who he is and what he's up to by way of stories. 
He uses stories to help us understand who we are and what we're, what we're to be about. And you'll notice it's one of the reasons why the Bible is mostly stories. You, you have poetry and, and biography and song and history and, and letters, but mostly stories. In the beginning, God, and comes the story of creation. There was once a man who lived in the land of Uz, whose name was, this is a more tricky one, Job. Story of Job comes. Uh, this will be a little simpler. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And next comes the story, birth of Jesus. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then comes the story of what? Good Samaritan. Here's one that's a little less familiar. In the first year of Cyrus of Persia, and then begins the story that Ezra tells, written by a priest and a storyteller. Here's another one. A long, long time ago in a galaxy. Oh, you all know that one. <laughs> it's the story of Star Wars. How, how, how come you all knew that one? And you didn't know the Cyrus one. You know, now I, I include this, but it's not in the Bible. Why do you include that? Have you ever noticed the very best stories, the best movies, the ones that tug at our heartstrings, the one that, ones that brings tears to our eyes, the, the, the ones that stir our souls, the ones that we want to watch over and over and over again, they all have the same ingredients. John Eldridge, in a book called Epic, he describes them this way, describes the ingredients. Things were once good, then something awful happened, and now a great battle must be fought, our journey taken, at just the right moment, which feels like the last possible moment, a hero comes, sets things right, and life is found again. Those are the ingredients that make for a good story. Stories like Star Wars, Braveheart, Lord of the Rings, Message in a Bottle, Grand Torino. And those, story, those storytellers, although I was thinking that, that Tolkien with Lord of the Rings, he knew, he knew the big story. Those storytellers may not know the big story, but by golly, they know what makes for a good story in the ingredients that tug on our hearts. Sandra Ricker said it this way, she said, and it's in her book called The Epic of Eden. She said, the narrative, the Bible, begins with Eden and does not conclude until the new Jerusalem is firmly in place. It is all one story. And if you're a believer, it is your story. You catch that? The Bible is all one story. Somebody at the last service at the end said, it's a love story, which it is. It's all one story. It's your story. It's my story. All because we are created, made to be story people, and that's how we find our purpose in life. Up. Uh, we find our purpose in life by coming to know God's story and discovering who we are and why we are here. Now that one may, may be worth writing down. By coming to know God's story, we discover who we are and why we are here. Our purpose in life. Have you ever, how many of you all have arrived at a movie very late? I mean really late. 
when Janice and I first had our kids, we, we arrived at movies really late. We tried, we tried the first time bringing our, our, our baby into the movies. Ha <laughs> ha, that didn't work out very well. But if you arrive late in a movie, you know, by the time you get your drink and your popcorn and find your seat, movie's well underway, story has already begun, and then you have to sit in there and try and figure out who's who and what on earth's happening. Being born is like that. We are born into a story that is already well underway. We all want to know what kind of story we've been born into. We, we, we have questions like, who am I? What, what am I here for? What, what happens to me when I die? And, and, and it's interesting, the Greek, the Greek word for, for birth is crisis. I kind of like that. Because it is a bit of a crisis for you and I to figure, on, figure out what on earth is going on in this story we've been born into. When we read the book of Ezra, we are coming into a story that's already well underway. From the beginning, you hear words like exile, remnant, returning, rebuilding. Words that tell us that something has happened and it's not good. Something painful something tragic, which sometimes happens in God's story, his story. As Ezra tells the story, the Jews, God's people in Jerusalem and in Judah, they have sinned, they've been disobedient. The prophet Jeremiah tried to tell them, but they would not listen. And so they paid the price for their sinfulness, their disobedience. And, and, and you and I, if we're if familiar with the, with, with the Bible and, and, and his story, you and I realize that this is not the first time that sin has shown up and people have paid the price. If you go back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve sin, they eat the fruit, and they pay the price. They're cast from the garden. Cain kills Abel. Cain pays the price. He's exiled to Nod. Later in the story, humanity messes up, and I mean really messes up, and they pay the price. God brings the flood. But Noah with the ark says the remnant. I want you to remember the word remnant because it will come back. It'll show up later. So, so we get this picture of wandering off, messing up, paying the price, repenting, returning, rebuilding. Story goes on. Now in the book of Ezra, there's another time where people have messed up and paid the price, and it's a high price. By now you know in the story that, that Jerusalem has been laid to waste by Nebuchadnezzar II. The temple where God resides was looted and, 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 and laid to ruins. It was destroyed. The people are taken to exile in Babylon where they live for some 70 years, more than a lifetime. All because sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Maybe worth writing that one down. Anybody had some experience with that? Okay. Then I'm not alone. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And, and, and you can hear their cry. Boy, in Psalm 137, I want you to get a feel for this. Let me read it to you. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplars. For our captives demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem, they said. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a pagan land? 
In the fifth chapter of Ezra, as it, as it begins, Cyrus has already issued an edict that's allowing some of the exiles to come back. Zerubbabel and others have, have brought back the first exiles. And they start rebuilding their lives, and they start rebuilding their, their, their businesses and their homes, and they start rebuilding the temple. But they soon stop rebuilding the temple. First, because they, they suddenly realize that rebuilding isn't as easy as they thought it was going to be. And they also begin to realize that the people in the surrounding area are not really too fired up about the idea, and they start to threaten them, and they become scared, and so they stop rebuilding at this point in the story, the temple is still partially in ruins. And chapter 5 begins this way. At that time, the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, sons of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in, Ju in, in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of God, the name of God of Israel, who was over them. And what did the prophets Haggai and, and Zechariah say to them? Let me read a section out of Haggai chapter 2. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are not thirst but are thirsty. You put clothes on but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets full of holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. And with that, the prophet Haggai reminds us that when we forget the story and we forget our place in it, Every time we wander off, there's a price to be paid. We live with a deep hunger for more. What we buy never satisfies us, even on Amazon. <laughs> what we drink leaves us thirsty, and our work leaves us thinking that there's got to be more to life than this. All because you and I are made for more than living in our little stories. We are made for living in the big one. We're made to live in it and find our life in it. So after the prophet Haggai calls them to remember who they are, he begins to call them to remember what they're to do and what they're to be. And he reminds them that they're part of a larger story rather than this small story they've been living in. Then the prophet Haggai says, Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So in response, they, they begin to rebuild again. So, so the, think about it. The book of Ezra is another story within his story about forgetting and wandering off and messing up and paying the price and then remembering again and repenting and returning and rebuilding. Sounds a lot like my story. Maybe it sounds like yours. And I, I was thinking about this as, you know, I, I, I will say to you, I have done some real forgetting in my time. 
You know, some, some of my wandering off has been just by mistake. I was unaware I was wandering off. But there have been times where I have wandered off and, or, or walked off willfully knowing what I was doing at the time. Got any company? We pay the price. We always do. And if that sounds like your story, and it certainly sounds like mine, there are some things we need to remember. In our tendency to, to, to do our own thing, and in our, in, in our, in our tendency to choose just simply living in our little stories, it's always costly because we're made for more than that. Remember the word remnant? It came earlier with the flood and with Noah. You, you, you begin to realize that all through his story, the word remnant comes up, either, either, either just in the theme or, or, or specifically by the word itself. It is a painful reminder that everybody forgets, everybody rebels, everybody sins, everybody wanders off, but not everybody chooses to come back. Because sometimes sin takes us so far and keeps us so long, we just never make it back. We choose not to come back at all. And, and, and while God will pursue us when we wander off, or even willfully walk off, how many of y'all have had that experience? Man, the first time I willfully walked off, God ran me down over time. It took some time, because I was walking fast. But God will pursue us when we wander off. He will welcome us back when we return. But he will also let us go if that's our choice. And it happened in Ezra's day. Some remembered and returned as the remnant. They, they returned back to the ruins of, of, of Jerusalem. But others stayed. So, some of them didn't know the story. You remember, they, a lot of them, had. it was over a period of 70 years, a lot of people had been born there. They'd, they'd married Babylonians. They'd had their business there. They had their family there. They had their life there. They didn't know anything else. They got attached to, 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 to what, where, where they were at. They got attached to their small stories. We live in a world like that. We live, we live in a world where, where there, there's a lot of people who just simply don't know the story. They have no idea there's a, a story other than the little one they're living in. There are some, sadly, that have been disconnected from the story for a time through the church's behavior. Uh, and I, I'll say I, I was out of the church for seven years because of the damage for me. But those of us in the church, sometimes we just forget. We get attached to our small stories and we lose our way. Gerald May's got a great book out. It's worth a read. It's called Addiction and Grace. And, and most of us are kind of thinking, well, you know, what on earth would a book called Addiction and Grace have to do with me? Well, let me, let me for, hang on for a moment. Let me kind of explain to you what he, what, what he, what he, what he found. And maybe it'll strike closer to home than you might realize because it did for me. Gerald Maid found in his psychiatric practice, and he, and he, was, and he, was, a, he was a person of faith, so, so you got street cred here. He discovered that, that you and I can, can get a, addicted to and attached to literally 
nailed to drugs or, or, or alcohol or, 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 or unhealthy relationships. But he also discovered that you and I can become attached to, nailed to literally, money, power, sex, worry, fear, anger, resentments, food, shopping, shame. How many of you all realize you can get nailed you can get nailed to shame and be unable to free yourself? If I'm listening to what the world tells me about myself and not listening to what God says about me, I will be stuck in shame. Another message altogether. A little bit of an aside, but the truth. It turns out that you and I can get addicted to anything and everything. It's just kind of the way we are as human beings. And we all do, all the time. It turns out addiction is simply another word for sin, which is just another word for getting who we are and why we are here, another word for wandering off, for messing up, for getting attached, for getting addicted, to getting nailed to, anything and everything but God and the life He offers us. When it happens, we become powerless to free ourselves. You hear me? When we get attached like that, we become powerless to free ourselves. The only one who can free us is God. That's what grace is about. Now, the interesting thing is, Gerald May also discovered something else. Because you you we already know that we can be addicted to anything. He discovered the only thing we cannot be addicted to is God's love and God's grace. Can't get addicted to that. Got to come back over and over and over again for that. Which means our spiritual journeys, at least mine has been, not so much a straight line, but a wandering off, getting stuck or attached, being set be free by grace, wandering off, getting stuck, coming back. You with me? Not a straight line. We wander off and we pay the price. And in repenting and returning to God's love and God's grace reincorporates back into the story and we remember who we are and what we're to be about. When the people of Ezra's day remembered again and returned to his story in chapter 5, it says they rebuilt the temple from wood and stone. That's what they were called to do in their part of the story. You and I live in a different part of the story now. Some pages have turned, some chapters have come and gone. Something critical has happened. Jesus has come among us. Jesus has been willing to give his life for us. We've been gifted after the resurrection with the Holy Spirit. So we have a different calling. The Apostle Luke reminds us in the book of Acts when he's speaking to the Athenians, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made with hands. So as important and as valuable as buildings are, we're not here as our part of the story to just simply build or rebuild buildings. We're called to rebuild lives. And we're called to rebuild and help others rebuild their lives in the image in which we have been created. As the Apostle Paul calls us to remember our party, he, he says this in, 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 in the letter to the Corinthians, 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
You were not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, in other words, live with the evidence of what Jesus has done for you. Love others as he loved you. Forgive others as he's forgiven you. The Holy Spirit now resides in your heart and your life. Live and serve others so his presence is evident. And it's interesting, something amazing happens when, when you and I get together and do that. Paul describes it in, in Ephesians. He says, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. But only if we remember that there's a larger story and that we have a part in it and live into that. So somebody, I, I read that somebody, somebody said, how many, how many of y'all realize that Jesus does not care or excuse me, the world does not care to hear that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. They don't care. What they want to see is what that looks like in your life. That takes you beyond just simply saying that or telling people that Jesus loves them, but showing them that. So together as we live out that story, that becomes evident. It's interesting, Janice and I, before we, before we found Mosaic, which we are grateful we found it, we visited several other churches. Did you know that you can visit a church, you can walk in, and you can worship, and you can walk back out with no one ever saying anything to you but the greeters at the door? No. Can't be, can't be, can't be possible. Oh, man, it is. Been there, done that. Did you know that you can, you, can, you can go into a church and be treated like the world treats everybody, maybe even worse because they judge you? Hello, anybody listening? Our part, we're called to a different, a different life. So, so what, what keeps, keeps us, helps us remember what we're called to be and what we're called to do and you know when we're so prone to forget Ellie Weisel who who was a Holocaust survivor and, and an author he he wrote this people become the stories they hear and the stories they tell scares me around video games quite frankly if that's true and I think it's true People become the stories they hear and the stories they tell, which means for you and me in the process of trying to remember who we are and what we're called to be in a world that does not want us to remember that, we need to read the story and study the story and remember the story and find our place in it. We need to allow that story to begin to change our lives for the better. In the, in the sixth chapter of Ezra, Ezra reports that the, the temple has been dedicated, it's been built and it's rebuilt and it's been dedicated. You know what they do next? In verse 19, he tells us, On the 19th day of the, first, of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. Now, why would they do that? The word for the meal around Passover is called the Haggadah. And it literally means telling. 
So what they did is they gathered around, and it's interesting, the question that's asked in this meal, why is this night different from any other night? And then they begin to retell the story. That story about being, being captive in, in, in Egypt and how God in a, in, a, in a mighty hand delivers them and sets them out towards the promised land. All so they could remember who they are and what they're called to be and do. So, so I was thinking, how do, how do you and I keep remembering so we won't forget? Well, it's, it's interesting. In, 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 in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul gives us, gives us a glimpse of that when he, when, he, when he says this. And he talks about having received this. He says, I received this and now I give it to you. The Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, when we come together as a community, we're, we're called to remember the big story who God is, what God's about, who we are, our part in it. And what else do we say at the end of the service? Anybody remember? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. You know what you know we're doing? We're remembering that we're part of a much bigger story. Much bigger story. Between the Alpha and the Omega, we live and serve. And, and, and maybe the story will end today. Maybe the story will end in a thousand years. But when the end comes, God wins. That's what the end of the book says. No matter what it looks like in the present. So, so I was thinking, as I was, as I was writing this and thinking about it, I have no idea where you are this morning in relationship to the story. Some of you may have come not realizing that there's a bigger story in your living, than you're living in. You may be just simply living in your little story, unaware there is a larger story that you can live in. I want to say this morning that there is a larger story. It is the greatest story ever told. It is a love story about God loving you and wanting you to become all that you have been created to do. And he invites us to be a part of that. And if you're not a part of that, take him up on the invitation. After having been on that journey for years, I will say to you that you will not regret Becoming a part of it. But maybe, maybe you already know the big story and you just got caught up in your little story. It's kind of funny at the end of the, at at, at the end of the, uh, at the nine o'clock start, somebody said to me, you're, you're referring to my life as the little story. Yes, I am. And compared to the larger one, it's little. It's what they call referred to as a scratch on the glass in the general scheme of things. It's a little story, and, and I need to remember that because I start to begin to think that my little story is the big one, and it's not. So if somehow, some way, you have forgotten about the big story, and all of us do, because remember, all of us wander off, it just 
the way we are. If you, you, if you, if you are living in your little story and you just kind of all of a sudden realize this morning, oh my gosh, there's a bigger story that I'm supposed to be living in. This is your morning to come back. Like the prodigal. You and I are invited to come back. We're invited to, to kind of wake up in the pig pen, repent, and return. And you know the best part about this is God takes us back, welcomes us back as though we have never been away. Gosh, grace is an amazing thing. So if you don't know, if you don't know the big story, man, you've come to the right place because these people here, my experience is they can show it to you. They won't just tell you, they'll show you. And if you somehow got caught up in your little story and you forgot the big one, this is the morning to come back home. So the chairs can be used in prayer. The altar's open. Heather and I will be down front if you need somebody to, to pray with. And let's pray together. God, we, we stand amazed at the fact that, that you reveal who you are and what you're about in the big story. And that you create us to know that story and to live into it, to recognize it. Help us to create a space here where if we don't know the story, we can discover it by the way we're loved. Help us create a space here where if we've gotten, if we've wandered off again, that this will be a place where we can come back home and come back home and, as if we'd never been away. And we'll give you thanks for the grace that, that allows that to happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.